Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is episode 327, and on today's podcast, I talk to Dr John Borgonovo about the book The Atlas of the Irish Revolution and the Irish Revolution in Cork. This is published by Cork University Press. I spoke to John in his office in Cork during the Cork Great War Conference, and apologies if the sound call is not that brilliant. John, welcome to the podcast. Before we start, could you tell us about yourself and your role here at Cork? And then maybe if you could tell us what is the Irish Revolution? This might be for the benefit of our English and uh, Welsh and Scottish (laughs) colleagues who sometimes think that the First World War ended on the 11th of November and everything was fine and everybody got back to peace as normal. So, uh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, My name's Dr. John Borgonovo. I'm a lecturer in the School of History at University College Cork. Um, As you can tell from my accent, I'm not a native of Cork. Um, I'm an American from California, um, but I did my uh, graduate work over here in Ireland. Um, And my specialty area, a lot of it's been on kind of Ireland's revolutionary experience, which we would have kind of a long time frame from probably from about 1913 or 14 to about 1923. Um, And that also encompasses the First World War. I've written a monograph on the local front here in Cork. Um, the war front, and I've kind of argued that the circumstances for revolutionary Ireland and what we call the Irish War of Independence were basically established by the conditions uh, of the First World War and kind of the pressures that got put on the local public and the responses to those. And when we think about Ireland and um, so it, when we think about kind of Irish political opinion, it's very much a First World War story. The Easter Rising is this kind of catalyst of, of anti-government sentiment, uh, which is a conspiracy by Irish separatists in conjunction with Imperial Germany. Um, and then a, the, a real critical moment of the whole this whole period is the conscription crisis of April 1918, when um, conscription was att- when the British government attempted to uh, introduce conscription in Ireland and faced kind of a unanimous opposition to it, um, and so. That was that created this political mobilization that resulted in um, the formation, really, of a, of a really strong independence movement um, that was going to uh, wage kind of uh, a guerrilla war, armed conflict, and, a, and an international press campaign, uh, and a political rebellion as well from 1919 to 1921. So, to map that as part of mapping that process, you've created the Atlas of the Irish Revolution. What is this, and what does it tell me about the Irish Revolution, and why is it needed? So um, this is part of a series of, of kind of ma- big publications. It's, it's a physically it's a huge book. It's about a thousand pages, weighs five kilos. Uh, you could use it to, to stop doors or to, to club neighbors, um, and uh, it is um, it's multidisciplinary. So the the I'm, was one of the co-editors. And uh, the, the editorial team was basically geographers and historians, uh, and the idea is to um, to visually t- to to bring together scholars. We have about 110 scholars uh, ex- who explain different aspects of 
this political journey that resulted in the establishment of the Irish Free State. Um, and it's looking at the local, the regional, the national, and the international context for all these. And what we try to do too is uh, mapping is a big part of it. We have about 300 maps in there. And um, it's trying to extract data that tell a story um, that visually can tell you, explain, you know, regional differences and mobilizations, um, connections between past events, uh, uh, you know, all the way down to a local level to what an ambush looks like um, at the battle site. So it's different kind of variations. And, and what we found was there was a big public appetite for um, to, to distill scholarship in an accessible way and the visual elements in the mapping and also we have a ton of historical documents and, and things like paintings and photographs um, that that kind of additional layer offers different access points to the public. So what was fascinating about this, this is an academic book, but it had a huge non-academic readership. So we sold about 35,000 copies in, uh, in Ireland. Um, and it was number one. It was a number one bestseller for nonfiction for for about two or three months. So uh, so so there's a, so what we found is that the public is willing to engage with scholar with historical scholarship um, if the the kind of barriers to that scholarship are lowered a little bit. And so you still have to maintain the academic integrity while um, encouraging people to engage with the content. So you're an expert on Cork in, in during the revolution. Yeah. So what would it tell me about Cork? So Cork is um, was kind of seen as the epicenter of the guerrilla conflict, what we call the Irish War of Independence. Um, it was uh, saw some of the the most aggressive uh, guerrilla fighting uh, um, in in the Republic and what became the Republic, and or the all the thirty two counties. Um, they had the features here were uh, kind of flying columns, uh, small bands of guerrilla fighters that were who would conduct ambushes. Um, there was also a lot of uh, crown force reprisals here. So the center of Cork City was burned by um, by police, uh, the auxiliary division of the Royal Irish Constabulary, who were all decorated war heroes, uh, uh, ex-officers in the British uh, military who were um, seconded over here uh, and joined, uh, became special paramilitary police units. And they burned the Cork City Center, um, destroyed about 70 shops, the city hall, the city library, and threw about 2,000 people out of work in one night. Uh, and th that was one of, that was uh, uh a very significant reprisal, but one of many of these crown force reprisals that were that kind of exercised collective punishment against the civilian population, which was actually ended up being quite counterproductive in terms of public opinion. Um, also created a lot of international uh, criticism of the British campaign. Also created a lot of uh, of political upset and dissension in Britain. Um, and there was a lot of British opposition to to that 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 campaign. And so Cork became a symbol of that. Um, it was also where uh, the the Lord Mayor of Cork, Terence McSweeney, and uh, conducted a hunger strike to the death, which was kind of the really one of the first political hunger strikes that ended in death, and that was a huge international event that took place in the city. So you had a whole series of events in the city and county that galvanized public um, attention, and especially global attention, uh, and um, it's, this was seen as kind of... Um, like the wheelhouse of the Irish Revolution. 
obviously there are many sort of famous people in that and um, I came to Kent station yesterday mm. uh, named after Thomas Kent tell me about him Thomas Kent uh, and his brothers were active separatists they were actually kind of older than the typical uh, rebel um, they they'd been involved in land agitation in the 1890s and we had this this Easter rising in 1916 which was primarily but not exclusively a Dublin event and there was just for various reasons there was kind of chaos around the country with these uh, people being stood down and not really understanding what happened but Kent uh, and his brothers were leaders of this Irish volunteer militia which became later known as the Irish Republican Army uh, and uh, police came to disarm them and they resisted being disarmed and uh, the, their house was besieged. They killed a policeman um, who was kind of firing into the house and they were returned fire and it was like an all day battle and their like 80 year old mother was kind of cheering him on so it was and he had a, one or two of his brothers was one of his brothers was killed and, and then Thomas Kent himself was executed um, here at Collins Barracks and so uh, he, there's still a, kind of a memory of him um, his body was repatriated, uh, was uh, recovered um, in Collins Barracks and repatriated in 2016. Uh, and his family's still up there. So these are still kind of what's fascinating about this period here in Cork is it's still very much alive, still very much part of the collective memory. And so, like, the Kents are still out in Castle Lyons on the old homestead. And people out there remembered, you know, one of the, one of the surviving brothers only died in the 50s or 1960s. So, so there's a kind of a, a, a collective memory that's almost part of the identity here, and that makes the study of this period really fascinating. And then the, another famous character that we, uh, God, I saw when I was down at the museum was Tom Barry. Who was Tom Barry? So Tom Barry was probably the most successful guerrilla commander of the Irish War of Independence. Um, he wrote a really famous memoir called Guerrilla Days in Ireland, which has been kind of uh, some guerrilla fighters. Uh, it's part of guerrilla fighting literature um, uh, because he kind of describes, a, 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 he has a good kind of insurgent perspective to how to conduct um, kind of hit and run operations. Um, what's f fascinating about him was he got his training with uh, the British Army. Um, he served in Mesopotamia. He served on the Western Front. Um, he was with the Royal Artillery. Uh, and he, uh, the Irish Republican Army um, insurgency didn't really use a lot of British soldiers. They were kind of organized really in 1917 and 1918 before the, you know, the 200,000 or so Irishmen came back from the front. Um, but the, the IRA did kind of cherry pick um, certain specialists. A lot of their training officers were, were people who were First World War veterans. A lot of guys like, like uh, engineers, guys who could work machine guns, occasionally snipers. Um, and Barry was one of those guys brought, recruited in, uh, and he became, he became a really uh, prominent guerrilla leader. Um, and he conducted a, a really devastating ambush on the auxiliary, these Royal Irish Constabulary Auxiliary um, Division, wiped out a whole, wiped out 1718 at a place called Kilmichael, which was kind of, again, a real shock because the British government had just deployed these guys as a specialist force and he killed them to a man oh, they, they left one guy um, and he had another um, kind of famous uh, ambush um, of forces that had been led by uh, and his his bet noir his big enemy in West Cork was uh, Major Arthur Percival who who was actually quite a we had two really prominent uh, British Army um, 
uh, folks involved in Cork. One was a, a brigade major called Bernard Montgomery, um, and but he was not really known uh, at the time. He wasn't. People didn't really know who he was. I don't think a lot of the IRA veterans even knew he was in Cork because he didn't really. And he was quite. He seemed to have been quite conventional. But Percival, there's a whole oral tradition around Percival and West Cork, Percival of Singapore uh, fame. And Percival was actually a very successful, very aggressive um, uh, intelligence officer and kind of had his own garrison and he he had his own counter flying columns and he was embedded in kind of the collective memory in West Cork. Uh, and, and so he was well known. Um, yeah, so anyway, I digress. And then the final person I come across is a gentleman called Ter- Terence McSweeney. Yes. Who is, this, who is this man? So Terence McSweeney, I mentioned, uh, he was um, he uh, di- he died on hunger strike in 1920. So he was um, he was uh, kind of a cultural nationalist, poet, playwright. His poetry wasn't very good, uh, but kind of, but involved in a, a lot of the separatist um, uh, kind of milieu. Uh, he was also um, the he'd become the commander of the IRA in kind of the city in the section of Cork, um, and he became Lord Mayor, became Mayor of Cork, um, following the assassination by police of his predecessor and close colleague Tomas McCurtain, who was also Republican, also a head of the IRA, was also mayor, uh, and uh, McSweeney took over from him, and that was that the. the assassination of McCurtain was big international news so people already knew who McSweeney was because of that and then McSweeney joined a hunger strike at Cork Men's Jail of IRA prisoners um, striking for his release the British government relocated him to Brixton uh, and then that drew huge international press uh, and there was massive public interest in his uh, in his hunger strike and he and he died uh, after 74 days the king King George had advocated for his release um, Clement Attlee went to his funeral in London. Uh, so it was, there was, telegrams came in from all over the world. It was a huge international event because uh, hunger striking had been used as a tactic. Um, the suffragettes had used it, but they had nobody, they'd been force-fed. And McSweeney and, and then the Irish hunger strikers weren't force-fed because doctors refused to do it. And as a result, he died um, from starvation, and it was kind of the first major international hunger strike. And it it was a, it was a it was a really critical event in terms of securing uh, sympathy for the Irish independence movement and the idea that uh, these people have been portrayed as kind of criminals and, and corner boys. And here you have a very respectable person, a mayor holding civic office, who starves himself. You know, who takes this point of principle. Um, and and there was massive there were there were demonstrations and British consulate in Barcelona was burned. There were massive demonstrations in the Italian Parliament, you know, in Paris, Buenos Aires, fifty thousand people out in Buenos Aires, hundred thousand people in New York City. So it was a big international event, and it really helped swing public opinion towards um, the Irish independence movement, and it added piled on pressure on the British government that created the political conditions for them to. Um, Try to, to to seek and negotiate a settlement, which is ultimately what they did. And ultimately, we can find all this in the Atlas and, AI. and much more, and much more. Well, on that bombshell, we're coming up to Christmas, as this will go out later um, mm. this year. 
Um, where can people get this great tone from? So they can get it, they can order it directly from Cork University Press, our website, uh, cup.ie. Uh, it's also available in, in uh, a number of bookstores. I don't have a, a, a reference offhand. Um, it's, as I said, it's quite big. Um, there was also, we had two documentary series made off the back of it, one narrated by Killian Murphy, one narrated by Brendan Gleeson. Uh, and um, those were both, I think those were shown in the UK on, is it PBS? UK, is it British PBS? Uh, it might be. Yeah, anyway, it's, uh, so, th- so those, those series are out there as well. They can also be uh, seen on RTE Player. Uh, so if you if you want to cut to the chase, but the book is still being sold, uh, and you know long may it continue. And it makes an ideal gift for office and home use. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And on that bombshell, John, thank you very much for your okay, time. Okay, thanks, Tom. You have been listening to the mentioned in dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Buthworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time...